Sports and Alpha by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. All right, so we were, we were just saying that between our last show that we recorded two weeks ago and right now, this very moment, the Montreal Canadiens have played eight games, and every single one of them has been a loss. They, they well, when we recorded our last show, they were coming off a 6-2 win against the Jets, and their, their playoff hopes were, were actually looking pretty good. I think they might have been even in a playoff spot. And right now, I think they have a better chance at winning the first overall pick than they do at making the playoffs. Uh, their, their odds of making the playoffs, most websites have it around 5 or maybe 6% if they're being generous. So I think it's fair to say a fair amount of Habs Nation has at least one foot, if not both, on the tank train as of today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you said it. We were second in the Atlantic uh, when we, we took off for our little winter break there. And uh, here we go. Uh, eight in a row. And, uh, you know, I mean, you, you called it earlier. You said we were doubtful. This is a playoff team. And, uh, you know, I was, I, was, I was fully onto the optimism bandwagon. But it seems to be that uh, only a 30-something games into the season. And uh, it seems like the whole fan base uh, has given up on this team. Uh, what about you? You think, you think uh, are you personally on the, the, the tank train from now here on out? Uh, well, here's here's the thing, because it's kind of like when, it, when the losing streak was getting to like five or, or six games, you're kind of you're kind of half thinking, all right, well, they still they still could make it if they if they go on a, a little bit of a hot run, get get some luck, they could make it. But the smart thing to do, uh, maybe not from the fans' perspective, for, but at least from the team's perspective, is you have to pick a side. You either have to you either have to say, okay, we want to make the playoffs this year. This is our goal, or we're trying to finish as low as possible to get the best odds possible at a high pick. Because if you just kind of 50-50 it, then then that's where you end up being just, you know, mediocre team for a really long time, being, you know, Minnesota Wild are the first ones that come to mind. So if I were in charge, personally, I don't, I don't know exactly what the Canadians have to sell off for assets, but I definitely wouldn't be buying at the trade deadline. And I'd probably be... Um, you know, trading the, these new additions that we're going to talk about, Scandella, who's on an expiring contract, Kovalchuk on an expiring contract, they'll both still have value. And there, there's even been some some muttering that they're, they're listening on Tatar and Petrie, who only have one year left after this. So maybe, I don't know if you want to trade Petrie, who's a really important part of the team, but, but maybe Tatar could make some sort of sense, you know, left winger playing on a great line. Yeah, uh, well, see, those, those two players, I like, I, I, I agree I would personally think that the Habs, you know, like you, you mentioned earlier, what, 5-6% chance of making the playoffs? I think you're right on the front where there. they, yeah, so they, they should make a decision. And then I think at this point, where you're losing eight in a row, uh, I think the decision is to go and, you know, call, call, call it a year, wrap it up. Even though it's early, there's still lots of games to be played. But I think, I think they're, they're about done for the season. But when you talk about, like, you know, this Habs team here, this, this, this season went basically, like, recently... The last couple, the last month and a half, about it's basically gone as poorly as I could have uh, in terms of injury and just poor poor performance uh, from the team. So I don't know if you want to sacrifice next year when, in terms of like trading, especially a guy like Petrie, who's ex- just so important on the back end. 
and I mean, I think I think the Habs as, as an organization, uh, they want to, they definitely want to make a playoff push next year. I mean, you guys like you guys got like uh, like they got guys like Caulfield and and Romanov. They're hoping uh, making the leap to the NHL. So I think uh, they're they're hoping to make a push. And I don't think pushing Jeff Petrie or uh, even Thomas Tatar at this point out the door uh, at the trade deadline for assets in the future. I don't think that's the right decision, especially given the fact that, you know, as we as a fan base, we've waited, uh, we've middled in, in basically bad teams and disappointing playoff performances for basically our entire fandom now, uh, just between us two, that, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if calling it quits on next year and selling off assets uh, where they have contracts next year, I don't think that's the right move. What about you? Yeah, I would probably tend to agree with you on, on that. There have also been... Uh... Uh, a select group of fans that have been calling for Claude Julien's head at this time. Personally, I I don't agree with them. I don't. Uh, if you want to weigh in a little bit on that, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I I'm I'm on board with you. I totally disagree. Uh, I mean, obviously, when you when you start going on this losing streak, this is the second long, long losing streak for the Habs this season. Uh, the first thing thing is to look at the coach, but I I honestly don't think uh, the coach is the problem here. And I think uh, look, it's just first of all. Uh, we, we keep talking about it, but it's just the injuries have hit so hard. I mean, we talked about, what is it, like four out of their top nine forwards are out uh, for, for significant... Yeah, well, I want to get to the, the injuries. Uh... Okay, but yeah, yeah, so... I'll, I'll stick with the coach for a second here. Just, uh, you know, okay, Claude, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Claude Julia here. He's, uh, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's a above average NHL coach, uh, and, and he's got these guys playing really hard. I mean, I know that they're losing... But uh, look, night in, night out, you're on an eight-game losing streak, and these guys are still playing really freaking hard out there. Uh, you look at it, and their their effort is still there. And uh, I think this coach has got them motivated. I think when it, you know, like when you want to look at the coach, they've they've lost. You want to look at fire in the coach. It's usually because I don't know. It's just they they've lost the room. I don't think Claude Julian has lost the room. I think it's just you know a combination of a bunch of bad factors and. I, I still think he deserves, you know, to be kept down the road. Obviously, if they absolutely crater it, you know, you got at one point you guys, there's a line, but I don't think we've, I don't think we've even come close to to coming on that line yet. Yeah, so uh, I want to I want to read out the uh, the scores of every game from this this eight game losing streak, because when you compare it to the first eight game losing streak this season, which is uh it's pretty hard to say, uh, these all of these are close games. There was a five four loss, six five. 3-1, 2-1, 3-2, 3-2, 4-3, and 4-2. Most of those are one-goal games with a couple two-goal games in there. They haven't been blown out once, even though they've missed uh, Joel Armia for all those games, Brennan Gallagher for all those games except one. Obviously, Druan and Byron have also been out for, for a very long stretch of time. Uh, Gallagher, he came back uh, two days ago against the Oilers, and I was very... Uh, I didn't like that I didn't, because... Most concussion experts, which which I am not, uh, and Gallagher did suffer from a concussion, would say that two weeks is the absolute minimum for uh, someone who suffers from a concussion to be able to be fully healthy and come back. And there were reports that Gallagher was suffering from some some memory loss, so that was an indication that he was going to need more than the two weeks minimum. And now it came out about uh, a couple hours ago that Gallagher won't be playing tonight against the Senators after this one game back. Post-concussion syndromes is uh, is what they said. So I'm pretty pretty concerned that the Canadians would have rushed Brendan Gallagher back before he was ready. Yeah, that's I mean that's just terrible uh, on, on behalf of the organization. And uh, I mean, 
Yeah, because you can't really blame the player in the situation because look, they all of them they they're hardcore. They all want to play, right? You know, they they all think they can they can soldier through. But when it comes to especially head injuries and concussions, I mean, the research is I mean, it's barely come out uh, because hockey seems to want to cover it up. But still, you you still see the 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 dramatic effect of you know head injuries, uh, CT, all that. I mean, what do we do? We just need to look at you know how how uh, concussions really screwed up Sidney Crosby's. Basically, like a three, four year chunk of his career. Uh, thankfully, he hasn't had one recently. But it just it just makes no sense to me why you know. Look, he, you said that he was suffering from memory loss. I mean, are you kidding me? You're you're letting this guy play in an NHL game, uh, and, and yeah, look, he he played one game and he's not playing anymore. I mean, this this is the worst case scenario on all fronts. Uh, on on the hockey front, obviously, but also you know much more importantly in terms of player safety. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like the next, you know, this is the trend we've been seeing a lot of, you know, in terms of the next generation of hockey players uh, and parents trying to get their kid, you know, do they want to get their kids into the game? Uh, head injuries are a huge part of the, you know, of the debate against, the, you know, joining hockey because it is a uh, contact sport. And to see this happen, uh, it's, I think it's absolutely disgraceful. What about you? Yeah, yeah, those are basically my exact thoughts too. Uh, so actually, the reason we even get into it a little bit that we haven't had a show in two weeks is because you were on a uh, on a vacation in Cuba. You were gone for a week, and and you didn't have any access to any sort of information. So you kind of came home to my text influx of all the great informations that you missed. Uh, among them, uh, the Marco Scandella and Mike Riley trades as well as the Ilya Kovalchuk signing, which took basically everyone off guard. So my, my initial thoughts, I'll go with them, then uh, then you can talk about the... Uh, so so basically, first, I think what happened was that Montreal traded Mike Riley, who has not been playing very much this season, to the Ottawa Senators for Andrew Sturtz, who's basically like a like a low-tier AHL player, uh, which is probably basically just to balance out the, the contracts, you know, one contract this way, one the other way. And a fifth-round pick, which the fact that they could get a draft pick for a defenseman who has not played very much this year at all, I was a big fan of that. And further to, to that, this was actually the first trade the Canadians and Senators have made in my entire life. Their last one was 2001. I think it was a player, I don't remember his name, that was traded for an eighth-round pick. And the eighth round doesn't exist anymore to, to give you an idea of how long ago that was. And uh, then... They, they acquired Marco Scandella, a clear upgrade on Mike Riley, in exchange for a fourth-round pick. So they moved down one round in the draft to make a pretty big upgrade on left defense. And Scandella, I think, especially in his, in his first game, has been playing pretty well, uh, exceeding expectations for the most part. There was an, I don't think he had such a great year last year, but he's kind of had a bit of a resurgence with the Sabres before he came over to Montreal. And not to mention... He is actually a, a, a hometown guy who, uh, who you, I think, had the, the opportunity to meet at, at some point, didn't you? Yeah, he did. Uh, the, the, he is an uh, English Montreal School Board alumni. And, uh, yeah, so at one point he ended up uh, visiting my elementary school. I think I was in grade four or five. Uh, and he popped on over and made an appearance. I had no idea who this guy was at the time. Uh, but the name stuck. And, uh, you know, it's fun to see him uh, as a hab. And uh, just talking about the trades as a whole. 
I mean, overall, it's a solid trade because, as you said, Mike Riley, I mean, this guy wasn't playing at all in the NHL. Basically, he was like, he was stuck in the press box and he got a fifth round pick out of Ottawa for him. Solid, solid, solid trade there, you know, accruing assets. Uh, the Marco Scandella trade, on the other hand, I, I don't know about that. I mean, to me, I, I just like giving up a fourth round pick when you're in the middle of, you know, just that losing stretch and, you know, your playoff hopes are dwindling and this guy's on an expiring deal. Look, I, I think I think I'll just I'll wait and see uh, before giving my uh, verdict on the Scandella trade because uh, for me it'll depend on you know can they get a return on this guy uh, because I, that's what I hope is happening here kind of like a pump and dump they get the guy uh, for a fourth round pick and then hopefully they dump him at the at the trade deadline for something more uh, and that, I think that's the best case scenario that's my opinion uh, coming from this trade I think uh, Scandella if he plays well gets some solid minutes. And uh, they can ship them off, uh, you know, when it comes to trade deadline. And uh, teams are looking for a left-hand defenseman for the stretch run. Or if he if he plays well and fits and continues to fit in nicely, then maybe they could extend him for I don't know, nice two-year deal. That one that wouldn't be so bad either. I don't think. No, that's for sure. If if he look if he plays well, it it's a win-win either way. But what I don't want to see is you know we wasted a fourth-round pick and in a year where we're clearly not going to make the playoffs at this point in the time. And he walks for nothing. And he didn't really move the needle that much in terms of this season because we're not going to make the playoffs either way. Uh, so is there anything yeah. you also want to say on the trades, on both of these trades, either of them? Um, no, nothing in particular. I think uh, we can uh, move on to the Ilya Kovalchuk uh, whole thing now. Uh, so it broke one uh, the next morning, I think it was, uh, Ilya Kovalchuk signed... A two-way deal with the Canadians. He had been on the open market after he agreed to terminate his contract with the LA Kings, and he had said he wanted to go to a contender. I think apparently Boston was showing a little bit of interest. Out, they had seemed like the front runner right away. I guess they decided against it, and no other contenders were interested because I don't think Ilya Kovalchuk was thinks Montreal is a contender. I hope he doesn't because they have, still haven't won with him here. He had, he's been awesome. He surpassed my expectations. And not to mention, I know he's not as good as he used to be. He's not scoring 50 goals a season anymore. But it's so cool to see, some, even though he isn't a superstar anymore, it's still so cool to see him in a Canadian sweater. Because when he was, you know, so great with the, the Devils in the early 2000s, one of the best players in the league, he's kind of like, oh, you know, there, there's a, an offensive superstar. And now, it's cool to see him on the Canadian, and he's been great. He's been not, he played with Tatarin Dano when Gallagher wasn't playing. He picked up three assists in his first two games. He, he was and uh, his first game at the Bell Center, the fans loved. Him. They cheered when they announced his assist. It was so loud. There was Kovi 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 chance. It was great. I, I love having him. Oh, absolutely, and I agree with you on the front where you know just just the nostalgia. Even though he's not the superstar that he once was, uh, he was a superstar at one point. And personally, as a fan, you know, look, the Habs, let's be honest here, in terms of absolute superstars, uh, not much, especially in the forward. Like, we have Carey Price, obviously. But uh, in the forward group, we haven't seen, like, a superstar name in a long time. And while uh, Ilya Kovalchuk is no longer a superstar by any means, I mean, seeing Kovalchuk on the back of a Habs sweater, I'm pretty sweet. And in terms of the move Bergevin made, signing this guy... Uh, I absolutely just, I love it. I mean, look, a two-way contract, first of all. Uh, so you can send him down, no worries whatsoever, and he, get, he goes on the HL contract. Uh, league minimum salary. 
uh, and it's prorated as well, I believe. And it was it was it was a no risk move. And if he plays garbage, you could set him down, whatever, whatever, experiment over. But he's been playing fantastic, you know. It's an, and uh, you know just it's an extremely smart move by Bergevin. Uh, looking down the road, uh, if he continues to play this well, uh, we could absolutely see this guy being traded off to some actual contender where he originally wanted to go, maybe, and uh, and accrue some significant assets if this guy continues to play well. Because look, Ilya Kovalchuk, let's let's not forget the human side of this. This guy, he wants to keep playing in the league, right? He was just bought out. And so I would think he's extremely motivated right now. I think that's what's driving him a lot. And uh, and so that's just, I, th- I think it's a fantastic move by Mark Bergevin. Yeah, the the report, I think, that, that came out after the Scandella trade and the Kovalchuk signing where Bergevin talked to his team, which I think the losing streak was only at uh, maybe four or five games at that point. And he said something in the vein of, I still believe in you guys. I still think you can do it. That's why, that's why I'm making these moves. So after the, loss, the losing has continued, I'm not sure if that feeling is exactly the same. But that was the sentiment at the time about a week ago. But even if he did, uh, believe it or not, uh, in this team or not, Mark Bergevin, these, these moves, uh, either way, they're pretty smart. Uh, especially the Riley and the Kovacic signings. I, I, I in particular love those ones because uh, – you know, there's just no risk in terms of the future. He said he wouldn't give away future assets for this year's iteration of the team, and I am absolutely on board with it. Uh, I personally think the moves he's making, the moves he's making, are are actually pretty smart, and I think he's having, you know, a, a nice little stretch here. Uh, and uh, no absolutely disastrous transactions, no you know knee-jerk reactions that we've tend to see uh, from a lot of GMs, especially at this time if your team is just cratering, which the Habs are. Uh, so I think we got to give some props to Mark Bergevin because overall these are three very very solid moves on his part. Well, the Scandella one you weren't you weren't so excited about just a few minutes ago, but okay, but whatever. Two, two, I, two very very solid okay. uh, transactions from Mark Bergevin. Yeah, all right. The one of the concerns with Bergevin that that some people have is almost everyone agrees that over the probably since about the around the Max Domi trade from that point onwards, almost everything he's done has been has had a positive reaction to it. Or like uh, people think he's made good moves, had good results. He's won basically every trade he's made. He hasn't made any terrible signings since that point. But it hasn't resulted in any sort of on-ice success. It's looking like they're going to miss the playoffs for the third year in a row. And people say, say, uh, general manager, their job isn't to win trades; it's to win hockey games, to win playoff rounds, win Stanley Cups. And for for whatever reason, even though it looks like you know he's been drafting well recently, very good prospect pool, nothing really has come out of it yet. And I want to know if how long Bergman's leash is for you because he's been on this job for almost eight years now. And I know it's kind of like there was kind of a reset in the middle there around uh, around the. A little bit after the Subban Weber trade, a little bit of a retool is kind of underway now. But, but I want to know where you stand on that. Uh, I, I I disagree. You know what? I'm not gonna lie. I disagree with that whole mentality of, uh, you know, he's not out there to win trades. He's out there to win games. Uh, no, his job is not to win hockey games because he doesn't play hockey anymore. Uh, it's up to the players he gets, and I believe that it's the general managers, you know, to make the team, uh, to you know, to basically their job is to win trades. All right, make good signings. And I think this guy recently, uh, especially since the Dobie trade you, you mentioned, it seems that he's won every single trade. And I think, honestly, that's that's basically as much as we can ask from 
uh, a general manager because he's not going out there scoring goals uh, for the team. I think it's on the players. Uh, you got, you know, it's on the coaching staff. And uh, look, I, 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 for me personally, his leash is pretty long given the recent track record in terms of winning trades. What about you? Yeah, I probably lean a little bit towards that. I'm just, I'm just starting to get impatient. I feel like next year has to be, has to be the year that they make the playoffs and hopefully go on a bit of a run too. If they're going to have hopefully uh, some decent health, Alexander Romanov and Cole Caulfield, most people seem to think are going to be playing in the NHL next year, which should be very big boosts. Uh, so next, it has to be next year. Uh, some people would probably want him fired at the end of this season. I don't think that's going to happen. I, th- I think next year's the season, 2021. If the Canadians don't make the playoffs, then that'll be it for Bergevin and possibly possibly for Claude Julien too, depending on what happens between now and then. Uh, okay, well, uh, for those people who think he's going to be fired this year, I mean, look, what, what disastrous move has he made? Uh, none. And look, he's built, a, he's built a very good prospect pool, and you see this prospect pool hopefully coming to fruition next year. So, yeah, I think given next year... I personally would give him the year after that because, as you mentioned, these are two rookies, Romanov and Caulfield. So I give him a rookie year. I give him a sophomore year. After that, if they haven't made the playoffs, at that point they haven't made the playoffs in I don't know how many years. Uh, so then it becomes, you It'll know. be like six. Okay, then, then his seat starts to become hot. Or five. But five, yeah. right now, looking at the direction of the team, it is clearly upwards. And that is why I believe Mark Bergevin, uh, personally, I think his seat should be, should be cold right now. Uh, no matter how the team does this year. And look, maybe if they get a high pick this year, he'll have even, he'll add even more to his prospect pool. Uh, he's already extremely, I'd say, top five NHL top prospect pool. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's just my extended thoughts on uh, Mark Bergevin. Yeah. Imagine they win the lottery. No, I'd go oh, crazy. I'd, are you kidding oh, me? Are you kidding I, would, me? I wouldn't sleep for a oh. week. No, me neither. Dernier for I mean, Lafreniere. Yeah, that's it. Dernier for Lafreniere. Yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, another play- if they end up picking like around the six range right now, Tim Stutzla was so good for Germany at the World Juniors. I would love him. He just, he caught my eye right away. Yeah, we can talk absolutely. about the draft when we get to yeah, when- yeah, yeah. But we'll see our draft talk pick up uh, as the Habs fall deeper and deeper uh, in the standings <laughs> and more and more of, as their playoff chances slowly diminish from six to zero. Uh, I think we'll see the draft talk. We'll have lots of time. Uh, to talk about the draft, oh, yeah. I think it's five five months away, right? Uh, so we've got uh, plenty yeah, of time. Yeah, it's a great draft too. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely right. If there's one year for your team to just fall victim to a million injuries uh, and to fall off the face of a cliff, it's probably this year. Uh, because uh, oh, yeah. no, just the draft quality is incredible. Okay, so you you yeah, they want they you want actually pretty good segue. It's actually a pretty good segue into our talk about the World Juniors. Um, they kept saying that. The 2020 draft has about 20 players who uh, are going to be going in the top 10. Fun fun hockey draft humor on part of probably like Gordon Miller and Ray Ferraro. Anyway, so uh, Team Canada won gold at the World Juniors. That was awesome. Another great gold medal game. The World are always, somehow always, extremely entertaining. So actually, our last show two weeks ago, uh, Team Canada had only played one round-robin game. They had just started their other one, their six nothing loss to Russia, in which it seemed like seems like all hope was lost. Everything See, the sky was falling. Everyone, the sky was falling. Yeah, it was terrible. It was everyone played terribly in that game, and Alexis Lafreniere got injured. It looked like he 
was possibly going to be out for the tournament at that point. It was the it was actually the worst loss team Canada's ever suffered at the World Juniors. They had never lost back six goals before, but they they bounced back. They beat Germany four to one, kind of got back on their feet, and they killed the Czechs seven to two in their last game in the round robin, and uh, set up a pretty good, pretty favorable quarterfinal matchup against uh, Team Slovakia. Beat pretty handily. Semifinals against uh, Team Finland. It was you know slay the drag. They had uh, lost to Finland. I think it was. Each of the last three times they played them in the middle round. 2019 in the quarterfinals was uh, the Noah Dobson breaking a stick on the one-timer, if you'll remember that. 2016, they lost in the quarterfinals to uh, that the Patrick Line, Jesse Pugliarvi, Sebastian Ajo team Finland. That also went on to win gold. And in, uh, I think it was 2014, they lost in the semifinals too. So so they finally, they, they slayed the dragon. They were up 3 nothing within the first five minutes. Uh, Lafreniere had also actually had returned for the the quarterfinals against Team Slovakia, and uh, and so so yeah, he was here. He was playing against Team Finland, and they won five nothing, which was a very you know very convincing win. And then finally the the gold medal game against uh, against Team Russia, it was they were down three to one in the third period, and Barrett Hayden was actually he was playing. With a, an injured left shoulder, he probably, you know, if it were another game, he probably wouldn't have been playing. But the the Arizona Coyotes actually signed off to allow him to play, and uh, he scored the tying goal three three on the power play. One of the one of the greatest wrist shots you've ever seen, you know, a la Bobby Bond nineteen sixty scoring the Stanley Cup winning goal on a broken leg. And then the the hero this year, gold medal hero winning goal was Akil Thomas. Four minutes left, right in on in on a, a breakaway. It was a classic Canada moment at the world juniors. Yeah. I mean, it was just this whole tournament. Uh, it turned out beautifully for Canada, uh, in terms of, you know, just, first of all, just narrative arcs. If we're talking like that, uh, you know, Barrett Hayden getting injured, scoring the winning goal on an absolute snipe. Uh, let's see what else was there. Was, oh, right. Tying goal. Uh, and then we have Alexi Lafreniere injured in the Russia game, comes back, plays good. Uh, and then just beating Russia in the end in the final after you lost uh, six nothing in extremely embarrassing fashion uh, to come back. Uh, first of all, the comeback down three one and then winning four three in regulation and then beating Russia. You know, you know, just first of all the Canada Russia rivalry, but also you know as I mentioned they lost earlier in the tournament. Just uh, you know, great feelings overall. I mean, uh, just fantastic. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it live. But I watched all of the highlight packs. And uh, one player uh, of the tournament, in my opinion, who did not start uh, as uh, in the first game but ended up coming in relief, uh, Joel Hofer. I mean, I've talked oh, yeah. about how important goaltending is in this tournament. And, you know, it's, it's really a lot about finding, you know, the guy that will come and carry you throughout the tournament. And, uh, for example, for Russia, they couldn't figure out with Askarov and they had their backup playing in the championship game. And Joel Hofer, I mean, we saw Nico Dawes get shelled against Russia and Hofer came in uh, the next game against Germany. And he was just absolutely fantastic. Uh, for the rest of the tournament, uh, he had a shutout in the semifinal against the Finns. I mean, yeah, they, they found their goalie this year. And I think, I honestly think that's probably the main reason why they won gold because they found their goal. And I've, and I've touted the importance of finding... Uh, absolutely fantastic goalies. And if we're to stray a little bit away from Canada, uh, just to highlight the importance of goalies, uh, we saw how did Finland get into the semifinal and upset the the big favorites, uh, the USA, their goalie, 
were an absolute bender and they won one to zero uh, against the Americans yeah. uh, in the quarterfinals. Exactly. So uh, when I'm th- when I say you know like that, that's the thing about this tournament. The goalies are are just overwhelmingly important. You you run into a guy like I don't know the Finnish goalie's name, but if you go run into a guy on who's 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 feeling it that game, I mean I don't care how good your team is on paper, like the states were. They were absolutely stacked. They couldn't solve this guy. We talked about how good their forward group was before the tournament started and how just ridiculous uh, the talent was. They just couldn't solve this guy for one game, 60 minutes, uh, and their tournament was over. Their tournament was over, and that's just the nature uh, of the World Juniors. And I think that's a lot of uh, what makes it extremely entertaining to, to watch and follow. Yeah, well, I think that that particular Finland USA quarterfinal game. That, that goalie's name is Justus Anunen, who's a Colorado Avalanche prospect. The the thing that was a mix of him being great, and up until that point was the front runner for goalie of the tournament before he kind of blew it against Team Canada in the semifinals. But also, uh, the Team USA suffered from pretty bad coaching in almost everyone's opinion. Scott Sandlin, we've talked, we'd actually talked about this two weeks ago, just based on one game. The pretty poor deployment of his uh, of his best players, Cole Caulfield, Alex Turcotte, Trevor Zegras. He he did get some more time as the tournament went on. He had like something crazy like nine primary assists in the first four games, but uh, yeah, in, in the end they uh, they just couldn't figure it out, couldn't come together. Even though they were probably the favorite on paper, they finished in uh, sixth place this year, just like Canada did last year. And uh, also, I want to give give some props to Team Finland. They didn't win a medal. But they actually were missing, uh, well, they were missing Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Kapokako, who are still eligible to play in this tournament, but were obviously both, both busy in the NHL. And they were missing uh, two forwards who probably would have been their best forwards who were injured. Rasmus Kupari, who was a, an LA Kings first rounder, uh, started their first game, got injured, out for the tournament. And Anton Lundell, who's a likely top 10 pick in the upcoming draft, and he was injured before the tournament even started. He was actually he was on the team last year as I think as a 16 year old, or maybe he had just turned 17. So missing those two players was a big, big blow for Team Finland. But some players stepped up, got them to the, the semifinals. They couldn't come away with the medal, but congratulations to them anyway. Yeah, and thanks to them for being the states, knocking them out of the tournament. Uh, I love to see. Oh that. yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, is there anything you want to uh, anything What's else you want to point out from the tournament? Uh, Rasmus Sandin was awesome. I think he's going to be with the uh, with the Leafs before the end of the season. Up up in the NHL again, he was by far the best defenseman of the tournament. Uh, he's scoring a ton. Uh, Sweden had a has a ton of uh, great great players. I I think they outplayed Russia for the most part in their semifinal game. Even though Russia came away with the the overtime win, uh, Samuel Fagamo also uh, tournament leading goal scorer. He ended up with eight goals. I think he had at least a goal in every game, or maybe every game but one. He was an LA Kings second rounder, 19 years old. Uh, yeah, he's kind of he came out of nowhere, really shown through in this tournament on uh, that line with Nils Hoglander, the guy who scored the uh, that uh, the Michigan goal, the cross goal, whatever you want to call it in that that opening game. So there are a couple notes from uh, from Team Sweden also. Alrighty, uh, I think does that wrap it up for uh, World Juniors talk? I think it was an absolutely fantastic tournament uh, this year. Oh yeah, once again, actually, I was I'm just going through in my head now. It's pretty amazing how consistently awesome the gold medal game is in this tournament. Like, okay, this year it was fantastic. Last year was USA Finland was tied two two, and Kapokako scored the winning goal with like minute something left. Very similar thing the year before Canada Sweden tie game. Tyler Steenbergen, of course you remember, scored with uh, about a minute and a half to go. 
Uh, there was what else has there been recently? The, well, there was the Canada USA uh, great game that had to unfortunately end in a shootout, but the uh, the actual hockey playing was fantastic. There was a Russia Finland game that went to overtime also the year before that, where Kasperi Kaplan scored the winning goal. Basically, every year it's a, an extremely tight, extremely entertaining gold medal game in this tournament. It's so great to see. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's uh, it speaks a lot about just the nature of the tournament itself. Uh, I mean, it's not like we just see this kind of games in a gold medal game o- uh, only. Uh, we see it throughout the tournament, you know, upsets, tight games, mm-hmm. crazy comebacks. Uh, and that's just what makes, you know, watching, following this tournament just so fun as a fan. You know, it's just uh, these are just young kids. You know, they're extremely fast. They're all super young. Uh, and it's just it's crazy, right? It's like uh, you don't see any of the it's like it's like we're not in a dead puck era in the NHL. It's just do whatever you want, go crazy with your skill. And, uh, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's, it's lots of fun to watch. And uh, hopefully that's where the game trends. I mean, these are the youths, and hopefully they, they, they kind of push this game uh, into the NHL more and more. And, and, uh, they already yeah. have. Yeah, they already have. And, uh, you know, we just see it year after year in the World Juniors, and more of these kids go into the NHL and they bring it up. Uh, I mean, you thought, we just talked about Niels Hoglander, the goal. We see it in the NHL now, Andrei Sveshnikov. That's just a small example. Uh, but yeah, just it's just so fast, unpredictable, crazy goals everywhere, left and right. And uh, we're talking about comebacks. There were comebacks all throughout the tournament. Uh, and just to see one in the gold medal game, uh, it's just a microcosm. The gold medal game is just a microcosm of the, the entire tournament as a whole, which is as a whole just yeah, I guess. great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, also, uh, next year's tournament, uh, we had a group of death this year. This year, there's going to, next year, there's going to be another one. Canada avoided it. Canada's in a group with uh, Finland. Switzerland, Slovakia, and Germany. And uh, on the other side, it's USA, Sweden, Russia, Czech Republic, and uh, the uh, newcomer, Team Austria, who seems to be having pretty rough for next year's tournament. So Sweden's going to... It won't be so easy for them to extend their round-robin win streak next year. That'll be exciting to watch. And uh, Canada's going to, uh, for the most part, avoid it. Might end up with a uh, harder quarterfinal matchup, but it'll be fun. Oh, just fun to look ahead to, to next year's groups. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's great. It's like another reward uh, for on top of the gold medal. You get a great group uh, next year. I think a second a second bonus prize for the for the Canadians and uh, I almost said Habs. Uh, and uh, so just yeah, just they, they avoided the group of death. They were in it this year. And uh, poor poor Austria. I I think we could already write it in pen uh, that they'll be in the relegation game. Uh, but you never know. That's the that's the great thing about the tournament, and uh, yeah, definitely. You mentioned the Sweden streak, something to follow for sure. I think it'll be uh, interesting to see. And if they manage to come out of it with the streak still intact, oh boy, that's a hell wow. of a streak. I w- honestly, I don't think I would even be surprised at this point. They, they no, beat, it's it's amazing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, not. Like it's almost a given. Right. Like yeah, they did it again this year. A bite with an nope, easier group. first place so, finish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I could wrap it up in the World Juniors uh, until until December. Uh, there was uh, the big piece of news in the NHL over the past week or so was the National Predators fired coach Peter Laviolette. David Poyle, by the way, I think you know this, just going to remind you, has been the general manager of the National Predators for their entire existence since 1998. And this is only the second coaching change he's ever made. Barry Trotz was the coach up until, I think, 2014. So he was very long-tenured there. Till he, uh, he didn't sign an extension with the Predators. 
Uh, they hired Laviolette at that point, and Laviolette had a, a pretty decent run too, actually. From wait, was it twenty four? Might have been or somewhere around twenty fourteen that he joined the Predators, and uh, he was the coach up until a few days ago, including their run to the Stanley Cup final. And uh, I think I think honestly, Nashville has been underachieving this year. I don't hate the decision to make this firing. The big big thing that a lot of people were criticizing were the guy who they chose to replace him, John Hines. Not necessarily because John Hines is a bad coach, even though he he very well might be, considering how poorly the Devils did for the most part under his under his reign, but that they barely even looked. It was like immediately they they only they called him like immediately. They chatted with him, and then they announced that they chose him the next day without even talking to anyone else. And I think like there's some sort of connection that like the Predators assistant GM was like John Hines roommate when they played college hockey together. So, so it's just a whole, you know, everyone collectively sighing like, Oh, you know, I think it was Ryan Lambert who said there are 31 NHL coaching jobs available in the entire world and 35 people who are considered qualified, qualified for them. Yeah. Uh, just it's 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 kind of disappointing to see because look uh, we we say it all the time you know what hockey is like a it's like a boys club what two hundred hockey men whatever whatever and uh, it's just another example look it just seems like they talked to nobody but John Hines they just gave him a job and honestly I don't know why like what's so great about John Hines this guy doesn't you mentioned this guy doesn't have a great track record of success by any means uh, any stretch of the imagination this guy you know just he he was just fired this year for poor performance uh, with the Devils what makes Nashville think that this is the guy to carry them over the edge. I mean, yeah, Nashville, they've been underachieving. This team was supposed to be, what, Stanley Cup contender. They're obviously underachieving. I don't disagree with the firing. I think a lot of people could have seen uh, Laviolette's hot seat from, uh, you know, just a long time ago. Uh, this guy was, you know, pencil marked as the next guy to go. But, John, I mean, just the hiring process. It's just, you hate to see it. I mean, look, all these guys, uh, other people, other probably very, very qualified candidates, uh, out there, you know, looking for a job. And it's just the Predators, they just seemed they had one guy on their list. And it's not like he was, you know, any sort of coaching prodigy. I mean, obviously, a lot of people said when he got fired, when Hines got fired in uh, New Jersey, they said, oh, he's such a great coach and all. But, like, he got fired in New Jersey for doing a terrible job there. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I just don't see why. Uh, you mentioned inside connections, what, what roommate in college with the assistant GM. I mean, that's just if that's the reason, if that's the connection that led to him getting this job, an NHL job. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, 31 spots in the world for this kind of position. Uh, that's terrible. It's, a, it's it's kind of a bad look for the league, if we're being totally honest. Uh, I mean, yeah, just I, I don't know what's up here. Uh, just weird. Just very, very weird to see John Hines getting hired so quickly. One of the funniest things to come out of this this whole thing was I think in the press conference uh, that they hired John Hines where they announced it, they said something about like great reviews from from like I think it was oh, like the guy oh who, the Devils the guy who fired thing. him what they yeah it was oh it was such a great coach this is great you just fired him and also the thing pointed wouldn't you wouldn't you have such a glowing if you want it because also the Devils had to pay John Hines unless somebody else fired him so if you can convince another team to hire him then all of a sudden you're you're off the books for whatever John Hines salary was for however long it was going to be so I don't know why you would trust the New Jersey Devils to tell you how good John Hines was when they just fired him and also don't want to pay him anymore yeah 
Absolutely. I mean, look, though the the real winners out of this situation, uh, you mentioned it. It's New Jersey. Uh, they're probably off the hook for yeah. <laughs> a million something dollars. Uh, yeah, three million dollars for them. Good for them. Uh, congratulations to the Devils because uh, very very head scratching move there, and that remains to be seen. Uh, I think is is there anything else you want to say about this coaching change? Uh, well, my first thought when I saw they fired Laviolette was Peter DeBoer because I think. Right now, he's definitely the best coach on the market. I think he's a great coach. He has a pretty good track record. He's made a couple different uh, cup finals with a few different teams. And, uh, yeah, so I thought they would be at least talking to him. I don't know if he's eager to coach again. But if he is, I think he's the best coach available on the market and definitely better than John Hines. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking past track record with different teams. Uh, if you're, if you're going to go with a head coach who just got fired, uh, why not Peter DeBoer? Uh, he's definitely yeah. better than John Hines. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. Uh, makes no sense. Makes no sense. But look, I'll, look, if they, they think he's the guy, uh, I mean, nothing I can do about it. I'll just criticize it for now. But we'll see. We'll see if Nashville can pick it up with a new coach. We've seen it in the past. Uh, teams turning it around uh, after a firing. And uh, But I personally don't think this is a great move. And I don't think you do either. Just the hiring of John yeah. Hines. But, but I do have to, to hand it to him. He did... Uh... He did manage to do something that hasn't been done in seven years, which is get his goalie to score a goal. Uh, Pecorine, uh, goalie goal, got the alert a couple nights ago. First one since 2013, I believe. Uh, congratulations to him. Love to see that. Yeah, that was Mike Smith was the last one. And uh, Pecorine just got his, uh, his first career goal at the age of, what is he, 36, 37 years old now. And he held up his, his puck, first NHL goal. Great to see. Well, yeah, congratulations guess, to him. I guess John Hines has changed his formula, activating the goalies on the offense. Uh, I guess that's his new strategy oh, yeah. coming into Nashville. But uh, just uh, you know, <laughs> a nice little thing you like to see on the feed uh, in the highlight reel. It was a beautiful lob, and uh, yeah, it's been so long since we've had a goalie goal. Twenty thirteen. Uh, you know, it's just lots of fun. We've seen Price, you know, look down the ice. You know, maybe he'll try one, but he never has, uh, and he's never potted one. That's for sure. So, uh, yeah, good for Pecorine. And, uh, you know, I personally love goalie goals, uh, you know, as a novelty thing. And it's just it's just fun to see. Uh, yeah, good for I have, theory, I have a theory about Price. Price, I think I remember, for some reason, this game is just stuck in my memory forever. In 2012, uh, against the Minnesota Wild, regular mid-regular season game, they were up 4-3. to three. Price, uh, the, the Wild had pulled their goalie, and Price had the puck in his crease. And went for the empty net, but it was picked off by a, a wild player, like at the blue line, still in the offensive zone. And I don't think they scored on that play, but Price had, was forced to make a save, cover up the puck, and then the Wild end up tie, ended up tying the game. And uh, Montreal did win in uh, in overtime or in the shootout or something. But I feel like I don't know. I just maybe Price thinks of that every and he second guesses himself whenever he wants to gun for an empty net. Maybe that's why it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, well, I hope he shakes that habit because. Uh... Look, next thing, next goalie I want to see on the score. She carry, baby. You better fucking score one. Oh, yeah. Soon enough. Soon enough. Sometime in the 20s. It's coming. It's coming. This yeah. is our first show of 2020, by the way. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Look at that. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, about time. All right. I have a question for you. Yep. Do you care about the All-Star game? No. I do not care about the All-Star game. What about you? How about the skills, How about the skills comp? Do you care about that? No, I don't. Other than Shea Weber winning the hardest yeah. shot. So, like, are you? Have you ever cared about either one of those things when you were like, I don't know, about ten years old? Yeah, I would say I did. Uh, back when you know, right. early stages of my fanhood, 
I would say that I did indeed follow quite closely the All-Star game and the Skills Cup. Yeah, I would say, well, besides the, the John Scott All-Star game in 2016, there was probably only one All-Star game I ever enjoyed. It, and, whoops, sorry, excuse me. The first one I ever paid attention to was the one in 2012 in Ottawa. And uh, Chara and Alfredson, Daniel Alfredson, were the, the team captains. It was my first one, so I had a good time. And the next year, there wasn't one because of the lockout. The next year, there also wasn't one because of the, uh, the Sochi Olympics. So honestly, those probably would have been my last two at that age that I would have liked, and they never happened. So I always say, like, oh, I don't really care. But then I put it on over the weekend because I have nothing to do. They got rid of the breakaway challenge a few years ago. This three-on-three format's kind of stale. Anyway, so I was actually, I was just going to bring up the rosters, but now I've, I've kind of started rambling. Uh, and we can talk about the format of the All-Star game later if we want. But I want to go over these uh, these All-Star rosters. Uh, if you uh, yeah, Have you seen these yet? Or have you not looked uh, at them since you've been back? Nope, I haven't looked at them yet. All right, okay. Uh, Atlantic Division. Uh, goalies, Frederick Anderson and Tuka Rask. That's fine. Uh, skaters, they, they what they had done is like six forwards, three defensemen in the past. Now they're just doing like eight skaters plus one more last man in skater vote, which I don't think I don't think that vote has happened yet. So they've got eight skaters. It's Tyler Bertuzzi from the Detroit Red Wings because of course you need a player from every team and make everyone feel included and involved. Anthony Duclair from the Ottawa Senators for pretty much the same reason. Jack Eichel, Jonathan Huberto, Austin Matthews, David Pasternak, Victor Hedman, and the Montreal Canadiens representative, Shea Weber. That's the team. Uh, yeah, they're they're fine. Bertuzzi and Duclair kind of stick out as, you know, not quite up to par. Tyler Bertuzzi even said, I know I wouldn't be there if they didn't need someone from every team, but it's exciting to have this opportunity. Look, uh, I, I don't have – you know what? I thought about it, and, and the idea of, you know, a player from every team, it's – it's grown on me more and more because you have to think who is this all-star, what is this all-star game? Who is this all-star game geared towards? And the answer came out in your question, you know, I'm not interested anymore, but I used to be as a kid. I was a big time fan Uh, as, you know, an elementary schooler. uh, I followed the all-star game every year. And so uh, I think, look, I think if you're talking about kids, they want to see their, they want to see their, their, their team representing the all-star game. And so, I don't think it's so scandalous anymore that, you know, you, who is it? Like, I don't know, Victor Hedman's not in the All-Star game this year. Uh, I, I'm not so... No, uh, Hedman's there. Oh, Hedman's there. But, you know, all, all those other guys uh, on the Lightning, for example, or on the Maple Leafs, on those mm-hmm. high-skilled teams, I'm not so angry that uh, they're not on the team because, look, I mean, we've seen it throughout the league. They, the players don't really care anymore. When they don't make it, they don't feel snubbed. They're just like, okay, five more vacation days for me and my family. Great. And so, you know, just looking at the attitudes of the players, who this game is geared towards, I don't think it's such a scandal anymore. And in fact, I maybe even like the format where they have every a player from every single team. Even if it yeah, means I know. Tyler, yeah. even if that means having Tyler Bertuzzi in the All-Star game. Yeah, uh, I guess I, I kind of understand. It just feels stupid, you know, to have Tyler Bertuzzi in the All-Star game instead of, you know, any of Kucherov, Stamkos, or Brad Marchand or John Tavares, but but whatever, I suppose it's somewhat logical. I was going to go through all the teams, but then I realized just now that most people probably really don't care about the All-Star rosters. And I'm looking through them right now, and you know, I don't. I just kind of want to point out uh, like a couple ones that stand out to me. Max Pacioretty's an All-Star. Good for him. This is actually somehow the 
first time he's ever been to an All-Star game. So I want to congratulate him on that. Also in the Pacific Division, Jakob Markstrom and Darcy Kemper are the, the two goalies. So, uh, yeah, that's a, it's pretty interesting because I think uh, Marc-Andre Fleury chose not to go. So it's those two guys. Okay. So uh, a pretty weak goaltending cohort uh, coming from there, especially since one of them is injured uh, for, for the time being, Darcy Kemper is. And, uh, yeah, really, Max Pacioretty, eh? never made it to the All-Star game. He's been good so off for all these years. Never got a nod. Well, good for him. I think he's a replacement, isn't he? Is he a replacement for Silverberg? Uh, yeah, or Silverberg and Couture both aren't playing now, so uh, they just announced Patch Ready and Hurdle as the Thomas Hurdle as the two replacements. So. Okay, but either way, he's in the yeah. All Star game. Good for him. It's a nice look. The thing is, it's the, the first experience. I'm sure it's fun, but it's just that when it gets to like I don't know, what, like someone like Ovechkin, you're 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 in your 30s. It's like the I don't know how many times he's been you to the All Star game. Yeah, 10, 10 times. About 10. Yeah. About I mean, that, look, just well, yeah, I mean, look, at that point, he's he's gearing up for a playoff run. He's, it's, it's very taxing on the body. Of course, I think it's perfectly reasonable for him to take those uh, those days off. And uh, plus, he gets the one game suspension, so he doesn't have some extra rest. Yeah, some extra rest. Yeah, for a team who's on pace to win the President's Trophy. So I don't think they'll be too concerned about that suspension. Another goalie who's playing in the All Star game, Tristan Jerry. The Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, who has been kind of in tandem with Matt Murray, I think. I don't know if he's really taking taken over the starter's job, but I know he's been great for when he's played, and now he's uh, he's in the All-Star game. Pretty crazy. He actually, he was the replacement for Jonas Corposalo of the Columbus Blue Jackets, who got injured. So either one of those goalies kind of uh, would be weird to see at the All-Star game. We're going to have to see Tristan Jerry there. Yeah, Tristan Jerry's flown totally under the radar uh, for me. I just... I didn't even know this guy was uh, playing that well until a couple of days ago. I checked the stand, I checked the stats, and this guy's this guy's been pretty good. And uh, look, Matt Murray, uh, I think I think he's in. Uh, I think he's got to look uh, over the shoulder a bit. I mean, did you see the goalie gave up last <laughs> night? I mean, that was an absolute uh, disaster. I did not. Okay, it was just basically it, it went. He went to play the puck, and it went right to him, and it went right through him. So uh, uh, you know, yeah, pretty ugly goal. Uh, Matt Murray, I don't think he's been playing great in particular. I know Pittsburgh as a team has been very good, but I don't think Matt Murray has been anything special to see Tristan Jari, you know, make it to the All-Star game of all things. Uh, you know, yeah, maybe maybe a little uh, something to watch in the future. And uh, funny because we just saw it happen uh, a few years ago in Pittsburgh with Matt Murray taking over uh, Fleury's job when he was injured and, what, he won a couple cups in a row. Uh, both, oh, as yeah. a rookie. both as a rookie, mind you. Okay. Yeah, uh, actually, so they have this three-on-three tournament format with the divisions. Uh, they, I think this is the fifth year in a row that they've done it. When it started out, I, I was like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting because it's new, you know, and you're not used to it. And now it's kind of, you know, the novelty's kind of worn off. I feel like the All-Star game is the kind of thing where if you want people to be interested in it and also if you want players to show up, you're going to have to change the format very often, like – Maybe as much as every three, every two years, maybe even you've got to come up with something new to keep people interested in it. They had like they used to have the North America versus World teams, and I think around the early two thousands, then they split it up into East and Western conferences. They had a uh, they picked captains and they did a draft and they did a full fan vote or sometimes just a captain fan vote. Now this three on three tournament of four teams. These these new ideas are they're all fine. But as soon as you do any of them for too long, 
the the interest starts to die. I think there was a rumor next year they might be going back to some sort of internationally flavored thing. Uh, personally, I would love for them to to bring back the uh, the captain's draft because that was so much fun. The the one that I watched. But uh, yeah, I wonder what other ideas they could possibly come up with. And another thing they could do to have the players want to come is to you know not have the All Star game in cities like St. Louis and Columbus. You know, maybe go to Florida and L.A. and and Vegas, or maybe even you know go to I don't know, go play the All Star game in Finland or something. That'd be pretty cool. Free trip to Finland. Oh, yeah, maybe not Finland. That'd be that's pretty cold. I don't know. Uh, some other nice European city. That's just, just some ideas. Yeah, I think you're right on the on all fronts when you when it comes to the All Star Game. Uh, absolutely, you want to make you want to make it exciting for the flip fans and the players, uh, and and that means changing it up. And I think uh, it was confirmed by the NHL that they are going to some sort of uh, international format. I don't think it was just a rumor. Uh, it came from the NHL, and so yeah, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see what they have in store. And uh, talking about the captain's draft that they had, I mean that was fun too. You know, who wins the car? Uh, as the last pick of the draft, you know, you got some players saying, don't pick me, don't pick me. Uh, I want that free car. And uh, in terms of, you know, exotic locations, we've seen the NFL do it with lots of success with the Pro Bowl. I mean, the Pro Bowl, it's even more meaningless than the All-Star game. It seems nobody watches it. It's on a super obscure television channel. I don't know where they broadcast. It's like ESPN 73. Uh but uh, they basically they 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 used to set it every year in Hawaii. So free trip to Hawaii. Who doesn't want that? You know, yeah, everybody has a great time. Uh, you know, and it's just all loosey goosey. Now they have it in Orlando, and they switch around the location. But every time it's in some sort of tropical fun location, and you know the players love it. And uh, and you see that you don't you don't see them having the problem uh, with the that the NHL has. Obviously, it's different circumstances with the NFL because they have it at the end of their season and right. Between the the right before the Super Bowl and the t- players that are in the Super Bowl, they don't play, uh, and so you know yeah. everybody's they're already in the off season. It's obviously like the NHL has it in the middle of their season, but the the, the point still stands. You know, you still want to make it fun for the players, uh, and the NFL does. And you know, the NHL could take something from their playbook, uh, whether it be from in terms of location or just making uh, a fun format. I know the NFL has a dodgeball game, a little dodgeball game between the, the two conferences. That's always fun. Uh, and you see crazy comebacks and all that. And it makes look, it shows up on my feet. I know about it. And that's, I think that's all you need to know about that because it works. Look, me, some, I just, you know, like I knew about the last year's NFL Pro Bowl dodgeball game. Like, how crazy is that? And so, yeah, I just, you'd like to see the NHL spice it up uh, and change the format, you know, throw out something crazy because look, right now, who cares? So like, well, what do you have to lose? You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's, exactly. it's, it's not such a big event. And, you know, if you, if you may, if you get a hit, that's fantastic. Now you're drawing lots of viewers uh, and not just the kids. Uh, and so, yeah, just uh, look, you already see, I think, I think I saw something in my feed. It was like uh Bauer, some, some players with Bauer sticks. They're trying out like, uh, what is it? Sticks with holes in the, in the, in the blade. Uh, and so <laughs> maybe we'll see that in the all-star game. Apparently that's what they're saying. Uh, I've heard Bowers wow. get that hush hush. So that'll be interesting. Keep an eye out for that. Sticks with holes in them. That's something new. Yeah, I feel like football is the kind of sport where it's really hard to have an entertaining all-star game because, you know, it's a, like it's a very physical game and you kind of have to play defense for the game to be watchable at all, you know? Whereas hockey, you can kind of you can kind of half-ass it and it can still be somewhat entertaining to have the skills on display. Maybe not quite to the extent that the players do where they don't even try to make it look like like they're putting in any effort. But like like football, you kind of don't really have a choice. And baseball, it's a I think it's kind of a similar thing because what's a 
what's a, you know, a shortstop going to do? You know, they're just going to, you know, throw and make the out. Whereas kind of the same thing. Uh, well, with baseball, I think they still do it where like the winning, because it's like American League versus National League in the All-Star game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they make it so the winning team uh, in the World Series, uh, that the team that comes from that league gets home field advantage. Do they still do no, that? They, they abolished that a few years ago because, well, if you look at the concept itself, it's actually pretty stupid. Uh, for something so important as home field advantage, but yeah, they they got rid of that a couple years ago. But yeah, um, yeah, they up until just I think it was like a couple years ago, they actually still had that 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 thing going on, and I guess they still play, play yeah. pretty hard for it. Yeah, yeah, because I feel like that's the kind of thing where like you want to give some sort of meaning to the All Star Game so that people have a reason to watch, but I feel like that that takes it a bit too far to you know dictate home field advantage in the World Series. I think most people would agree with me. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, just going back to the NFL just for a quick second. I mean, you talked about, you know, well, you talked about how in the NFL, NHL, you see it half-assing it. Players are, in the NFL Pro Bowl game, the actual game itself, they're less than half-assing it. They, uh, you know, you see, it's it's really, you don't play defense in the NFL Pro Bowl game. But the oh, thing well, I've is, never the NFL watched market, it, so I wouldn't know. Okay, but, well, that's the thing. Nobody watches it, really. But the thing is, it's <laughs> you, people still hear about it, right? And it's still in yeah. my feed. Uh, and look, and people still watch the highlights of like you know the the skills competition. I think that's what the NFL really really hit the nail on their skill competition. Uh, they have all sorts of funky things, uh, and they keep it fun. They have like you know obstacle courses and you know the dodgeball games that I mentioned earlier. But but I think it's just it's just the the, the NFL as a whole. They let they and and this is most leagues because the NHL is so behind on this aspect. It's marketing players. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, the, the, the players are shown to have fun, uh, in the skills comp and not just in the skills comp, but just in the atmosphere, the pro bowl atmosphere. And I've seen them, the NFL make a large show of how, look, the players are having fun. It's a fun atmosphere. You know, you see players that usually play each other. They're, you know, they're trying to knock each other out in the game or the course season here. They're palling out, you know, oh, okay. Everybody's having fun. And so I think that's what makes it more of a success. Obviously, like it's it's hard to like you know get viewership for like something like the Pro Bowl where nobody's playing defense, but it still makes the headlines. Well, like not the head headlines, but like you know it still makes news. It still pops up on my feed. Oh, look at the funny thing that happened in the Pro Bowl skills competition. Oh, you know so this went viral, that went viral. Nothing goes viral in the NHL All Star Game. I'll tell you that. Uh, and so yeah, yeah, that, that's just my take on it. Yeah, so we're probably going to come back to this in a few weeks when it actually is time for the NHL All-Star Game. I don't know if it's just that I've gotten older or if it's actually the case. I feel like the skills competition has gotten worse lately. And I think a big part of it is that they got rid of the breakaway challenge. And I have no idea why. Uh, that was always the biggest hit at the skills competition. You know, you had the, the Patrick Kane, Clark Kent Superman thing. I don't know if you, you remember that from, I think it was 2012. You had Alex Ovechkin have Evgeny Malkin help him out with like the, I don't know, Gatorade, sunglasses, sombrero. I don't even remember what it was. So like those kind of moments, you want to see that at the skills competition. And now it's just like, let's watch Alex Petrangelo struggle mightily to get a puck into like six tiny nets that are extremely far away from him. And then, you know, and then, I don't know, uh, Travis Konechny is going to spin, spin around some Gatorade bottles. It's, it's so, and like, okay, the tiny net thing. I don't, you remember what you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Like the passing competition. Okay, everyone always 
hates this one because it's way too hard. And there's always at least one player who just like, you can tell they're starting to get frustrated and they're getting worse and worse and worse. And it's embarrassing. And you, you, you feel the secondhand embarrassment for that. Uh, oh, I cannot stand that, that, which is usually part of like the, the relay thing that they do. Those tiny net passing competitions. Like there might be one player who like nails them in like six out of eight shots or something, but like that doesn't happen every year. And that happens way less often than you're just embarrassed that the players keep missing. And it's not even fun to watch anymore. Exactly. And it goes back to making it fun for both the fans and the players. It's painful to watch, but I bet it's frustrating for the players and it's embarrassing as heck. You know, you're just, you know, for 30 seconds, you're shooting aimlessly at the puck uh, at a tiny net. And it just goes back to player marketing. And I touched it just now. Uh, The NHL does a terrible job at it. We talked about the breakaway challenge. It was great. That was an example of, you know, where we're marketing the individual, uh, you know, personalities. Like my personal favorite from the breakaway challenge was, you know, PK Subban, you know, he's, he goes and what was it? He he wore a wig and he tried to imitate Yaramir Yager, right? What it was? Oh yes, and, uh, yes. He wore the Yager jersey. It was it was, and I thought it was hilarious. And then that's the kind of thing you want to see, you know, marketing individual players. And this is the NHL as a whole has had a huge problem with that. They just can't seem to figure it out. Eliminating the breakaway challenge is just another example of this. And uh, yeah, this just yeah you hate to see it. You hate to see it, and they're just terrible at it. Because like with the, the skills competition, what ideally what you want to do is kind of put it in the player's hands. Like, all right, this is your opportunity to show your skills. And you don't want to, like, tell them what to do. All right, now show how good you are at passing. Now, now you know, skate in the circle. You, that, that kind of ruins the ruins the fun for me. Obviously, the highlights are when the players are showing off their skills instead of being told what to do. Yeah, I think the challenges of themselves are boring. I think you hit that. Uh, it's just they're no fun anymore. I mean, what was the last year, the new introduction? It was like... It was like a, a vertical rectangle and there were three holes in them and then one lit up and you had to like, what was it, like kind of like drag the puck up oh, into the hole? Like, yeah, that, that was, was terrible. That was, yeah? I don't, that was fun the first two times I watched it and then I had to watch like, you know, six other players do it and I kind of got sick of it. But, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. That, like, sure, yeah. yeah. The first uh-huh. couple times, haha. But like, it's, it's, it's terribly boring in the long run and what viral moment are you going to get out of that? What fun moment what, what, you know, yeah. what, exactly. What individual showcase will you have from a guy lifting a puck, uh, like five feet off the ground and into a hole four times in a row. And then you see like seven other players do it after that. I mean, like, come on, that there's no, think, fun in we, that. there's no potential. Yeah, just think here we are roasting the skills competition yet. Hockey fans almost unanimously agree that it's far more entertaining than the actual all-star game itself. Or games, I guess now the the three on three tournament style. Yeah, I mean, just the whole thing is an indictment on the NHL. But like, I think I think the skills competition probably has a higher ceiling uh, than the All Star game in terms of fun oh, and like, you know, whatever. And I think that's why you know it's it's worth pointing out how the NF- the NHL just totally fails to realize that potential. Mm-hmm. All right, so I w- I wasn't expecting to get such a deep dive on the shortcomings of the NHL all-star game format uh if you have anything else to add on it then we could otherwise we can uh close out and do our uh standings league look around for the first time in two weeks all right sure let's let's move on to that all right so uh one thing right at the top it was looking for quite a while that it was going to be an incredibly tight race in the atlantic division probably up until the you know up until the very end it's kind of not looking very much like that anymore 
Boston, Tampa, Toronto are, at least for now, have a, a pretty decent grasp on the top three spots. And Florida is the only one that's anywhere near. They're three points back of the Leafs right now. and But actually, Florida is closer to a wildcard spot. They're only one point back of the Flyers. And they actually held a wildcard spot for at least at some point, some, some point over the past two weeks. So it's not so now uh, getting a divisional spot for Florida isn't actually the only option. In fact, it probably looks harder. And uh, Philadelphia, Carolina have uh, Florida hot on their tails. Not to mention, the Blue Jackets are only two points back. They kind of they've come out of nowhere lately. Yeah, I mean, look, this race has basically flipped on its head while we were away the last couple of weeks. We talked about two weeks ago how, you know, the, the Metro is overwhelmingly stronger than the, the Atlantic in terms of points. That seems to have, you know, equalized and, uh, you know, resolved itself with, look, these three Atlantic, these, well, not three, these two Atlantic teams, the Lightning and the Maple Leafs, have been absolutely red hot uh recently i mean let's look at the looking at the maple leafs who talked about you know their sh- success on their sheldon keith they started out okay they were like six and four and then and then what they, they've just absolutely exploded uh and so they mm-hmm. found ex- lots of success under sheldon keith he seems to have uh brought them out of my uh the dark age of mike babcock uh he seems to be taken advantage of you know go 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 offense 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 uh and uh what what do you know i mean you've been you've been saying this basically all year uh you know, I was pretty doubtful, I'm not going to lie. But uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you said, you know, just it. you wait. Just you wait until they get it together. And it seems to be that this team has gotten it together. Uh, and uh, you were absolutely right on that one. They've won nine in a row. Uh, they're just, they figured it out. I, I guess, I don't know what took so long. Uh, but I guess they just had to wait. And yeah, I mean, look, uh, they're, they're firmly in a playoff spot now. And uh, I, th- I think, I think uh, you would agree when I say that they're like, they're pretty much locked into Atlanta, like the way they're playing right now, they keep it yeah. up. They're, they're definitely locked into an Atlantic spot. Maybe even challenge the Bruins uh, who I haven't mentioned yet have been pretty mediocre over the last stretch. Uh, you know, they've been all I right. Was, I was just going to say, yeah, they've cooled down uh, significantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah, go for it. I was just going to say, I think there's a pretty good chance the lightning win the division and we're going to see a, a third consecutive Maple Leafs Bruins first round series with how good Tampa's been and how Boston's been, yeah, you said mediocre. They haven't been very good lately. And their record is very, very strange looking because they've got only eight regulation losses, but 11 uh, loser points. So overtime or shootout losses. And it's extremely rare to have more overtime losses than regulation losses. And some would say that that's just, uh, it shows, oh, they're not a very good team in overtime, but also those are losses and the fact, the fact that you got to overtime is really boosting up your record, where maybe it shouldn't be. So I would not be surprised to see the Lightning overtake the Bruins for the top of the division. Yeah, I mean, either. I mean, you look at the wins column, and the Bruins and the Lightning have the same number of wins. Uh, yep. And so, yeah, it's just, I, I don't know. Like, this is just another example of, like, what the heck is this loser point doing? Uh, it's just screwing it up. A loss should be a loss. Uh, if not, an overtime loss should be... You know, you just shouldn't get the half the points of a win. Uh, but we've talked about that before. Uh, yeah, so we talked about the, re- the just looking at the wild card race. Uh, it's 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 looking to be what four teams uh, fighting for two two wild card spots, right? Uh, we have Carolina and Philadelphia right now uh, in in those wild card spots. But as you mentioned, the Panthers and the Blue Jackets uh, hot on their tails, uh, and so 
yeah, looking looking down the stretch. I mean, it's look, there's still a lot of hockey to be played here. Uh, and so, you know, we shouldn't make any, uh, you know, write anybody in stone in terms of the playoffs. Look, we're, what, a couple games over halfway. And so, yeah, lots lots to happen. Uh, anything else you want to say about the East there? Uh, yeah, well, you say, uh, you mentioned uh, four teams fighting for two spots. I mean, That's kind of what it looks like right now, but like a short slump by the Islanders or by the Leafs and a, or a hot streak by the Rangers, everything is going to change again in, in two weeks. I feel like th- that kind of thing, like of how many teams are fighting for how many spots, doesn't really come together, like the whole puzzle, until like maybe the middle of March. Okay, that's a fair point. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, sure. A number of teams fighting for a number of spots. How's that? And unfortunately, the Habs are not a part of that number uh, in anybody's imagination, I, I believe. And so, yeah, that's the East. Very exciting. Very exciting. I'm, I'm, before, before I move am, on to the West. Yeah. Before we move on to the West, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, in our first segment of 40-point watch, are right now on pace for 49 points. So it's looking like they are going to indeed eclipse uh, 40 points at this time. Uh, obviously still much of the season left to play and many losses to be had for that uh, that absolute tire fire. So nothing yeah. in stone yet, of course. Sure, question then. But what I did not mention uh, earlier in our Habs Talk segment uh, was oh. the Habs oh. loss to the Red Wings. I forgot to mention I can't believe it. But uh, yeah, you know, we lost another one to the Red Wings. Uh, I'm absolutely Three. incensed. Three, three, and yeah, we've lost another one, so that makes three in total. Uh, I don't know what the heck it is. This team sucks. This team sucks a hundred times over. They're a million times worse than the tire fire that the Habs are, even on this losing streak. They should beat them three times out of three, but somehow I don't think that they, they, they've played three times and they lost every single time, right? Yep, that's what happened. Oh my goodness, uh-huh. what an absolute disaster. I don't know what it is. This team cannot score for the life of them, the Red Wings, and for some reason they can't against the Habs. The Habs just somehow, they don't, this is just, you know, a microcosm of, you know, just playing down to your opposition. The ha- problem the Habs have had all season. But just, this is just so extreme. I cannot believe that they've lost three in a season to the Red Wings. They've given, like, what, six points to the Red Wings? That's, that's like, I don't know. That's almost a quarter of their points. Like, that's ridiculous. That's, that's exactly that's, a quarter that's, of their wins. A quarter of their wins, uh, more than a yeah. fifth of their points. It's just, ah, oh my God. I mean, I, I, I do believe the Habs had swept the Red Wings. They would not be on a 40-point pace right now, which just doubly hurts for me because, you know, I'm cheering for the 40-point pace. And so just, ah, it's just disgusting to watch. I hate the Red Wings. I can't believe they've won three against the Habs. And that's just, it's not, it's it's more an indictment on the Habs, in my opinion, that they can't beat the freaking Red Wings. The Red Wings! The Red Wings! The worst team in the NHL. And you somehow, you can't, you didn't manage to lose one. You managed to lose three in a row. God damn it. The worst parts about this last, the most recent loss to the Red Wings, uh, first of all, they blew a 2 nothing lead, which, uh, so basically Detroit outscored Montreal 4-1 to from that point forward in the game. And also, uh, the, the winning goal was scored by Philip Zadina. So that definitely stings a little bit extra, even though, yeah, yeah we love Kotkaniemi, but at the time, I think we've mentioned, we were pulling for Montreal to pick Philip Zadina, even though as draft day grew closer, it was seeming more and more unlikely. But, uh, yeah, still hurts. Still hurts a yeah. little bit extra when he scores. He's filling our puck with nets. Uh, and just... Yeah. Filling our God nets damn. with pucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so I, oh, I screwed it up. Whatever. Uh, potato, potato. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just... It just... Oh, I can't believe it. And to blow a 2 nothing league, like you mentioned, this team, the, the confidence is extremely fragile. 
Uh, but that's, yeah. that's that's for another conversation. Uh, so yeah, uh, all right. yeah. moving in to the, the central left. division. Okay. In the central division, yeah. Dallas is on a, a pretty hot streak as of late. They won six in a row, and the Avalanche have only won three of their last ten. So Dallas is now one point ahead of Colorado for second in the division. And Colorado, who's looking like they were on pace to win the division at the beginning of the year, are now sitting in third. They do still have a a, a pretty comfortable hold on a on a divisional spot. I think they'll make the playoffs. But you know this recent uh, cold stretch combined with Dallas's hot stretch, a little bit worrisome for the Avalanche, I would say. Yeah, they sl- definitely slowed down uh, from their torn pace. Uh, I'm not sure I can identify what's gone wrong for them other than they just happened to lose games. Do you have any idea what's uh what's what seems to have dragged them down a bit? I have been paying no attention to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, you know, World Juniors, Canadians, so. So I can't really provide any sort of insightful commentary on that. Uh, okay, sad to but, say. But uh, yeah, they they they've lost what three out of the last ten. Uh, not a great look. But they've won, uh, they've won three out of the last ten. Oh, they've won three of the last ten. Sorry, and uh, just the two other yeah. teams in the division have just been an absolute torn. Uh, the Blues, ridiculous. Uh, they've just been uh just surging surging up, winning games, and as you mentioned, the Stars have won six in a row. Uh, their new coach. I can't. Is it Rick Bonus? I I can't remember. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Rick yeah, Bonus. He seems to have picked off where Jim Montgomery left off, and uh, and yeah. So look, it's just a, a product of Colorado not playing great. Uh, presumably, I don't think he, neither either of us know exactly what's going wrong there. But mostly, just two teams in the Central have just been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I know. Our, last year was. Uh, a really extreme case of this, but usually you'll see with the teams that end up winning the Stanley Cup or making the finals, you know, going far in the playoffs, when you look at the standings just from like about the beginning of January onward, they were almost always really close to the top of the league, if not at the top of the league. Like the, obviously the Blues were last year being last on January 2nd. Everyone knows everyone knows about that. But you even with like the, the uh, not the Capitals, I, anyway, I can't really remember. Anyway, some some te- teams that are really w- good from about the start of middle of January to the end of the regular season are generally the best bets to go far in the playoffs. So that's why, like, with how good St. Louis has been again uh, early in this month, and obviously dating back to the end of December, I know it's still it's still only like you know about the middle of January, but this is really the part of the season where. You see who's doing well in this stretch and picking up momentum. Those are most likely the teams that are going to go far in the playoffs. So it's looking good for the likes of Tampa, Toronto, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and not so much for the Boston Bruins uh, and the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. Uh, Just moving on to the Pacific there, it seems we have a new leader in the standings for the Pacific Division, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Oh, yes. Much to my chagrin, I am not a fan of yeah. Oh yes, I I, uh, I think I mentioned I must have mentioned this before that I like the Golden Knights. They're my they're my number one Western team. I cheer for Montreal first and Vegas number two. Ever since yeah. they came in, I just uh, yep. Yeah. And so is that the main reason why you decided not to like them? Uh no, it's not. Uh, I just don't know what it is about the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I made up my mind uh, as soon as I saw their team, their team name, their logo. I just absolutely despised them. Uh. <laughs> Bottom four team, in my opinion, uh, in terms of uh, likability, uh, just I just don't like them. Uh, I don't know what it is about them, but uh, not a fan. And uh, I was very happy to see them struggle early on in the season, but they seem to have turned it around. Uh, first place in the Pacific. Uh, 
just not great, not great. Yeah. Uh, not great for me. But uh, yeah. What's that? The Pacific is still extremely close. Arizona has the same amount of points, same amount of games. The Oilers only one point back of that. Uh, they picked it up a little bit. I'm sure it was looking like they were going to fall out of the playoff race. And uh, Calgary is actually tied with the Oilers right now. So it's a very tight race in the Pacific Division. Top four teams all within one point of each other. And Vancouver, who I think recently had a seven-game winning streak, isn't that far behind either. Yeah, so uh, just tight races. And uh, looking down the stretch, we're going to keep covering it. But uh, look, it's going to be it's it's going to be very exciting. And uh, a lot of these teams, they're playing extremely well. Uh, and especially going back to the Atlantic there. Maple Leafs and Lightning, uh, looking to see how they do. And uh, you mentioned Boston-Toronto, maybe. I am 100% on board for that one. And especially oh, for another, yeah. another, especially for another Bruins win, that would make my year. That would 100% compensate. Not gonna lie, 100% compensate for the Habs missing the playoffs, especially if they get a high pick. Yeah, not gonna. Yeah, that's what I do. I just hate the Leafs. Uh, it's like my second priority after going for the Habs is uh, making sure the Leafs don't make it far. Uh, and so, uh, is there anything else you want to mention before we uh, sign off for this week? Uh, no, there is not. I think that that should be it. Uh, we'll probably be back, uh, to our normal Sunday schedule by next week. Uh, January 19th is, uh, next Sunday. So actually between now and then Montreal plays five games, Ottawa, Calgary, Chicago, Philadelphia, Vegas. So we might have five more games. We might have five more losses to talk about. Maybe they'll be at 13 by then, uh, by the time it's next Sunday. That is extremely pessimistic. Uh, I was going to say maybe five wins. But uh, I just said maybe you know, I don't know. I didn't yeah, say well, I didn't, yeah. I didn't make a prediction. I mean, I'm I just acknowledging the possibility. I think it says a lot that you said five more losses. Uh, uh but personally, maybe they'll go what? two and three. Maybe they'll go five and zero. Oh. Uh, that's just all I'm gonna say. And uh, maybe they'll be in the thick of the wild card race. One can only hope at this point. Five percent, let it come true. A hundred percent down for it. Yep. All right. So uh, that'll actually. That'll be it for uh, for this episode. Subscribe on Google Play, subscribe on iTunes. Thank you very much for listening. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sanborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sanborn's Boys today.